Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. Welcome to Organic Healthy Lifestyle, and this is Nancy Addison, your host, and this show is dedicated to sharing information that will inspire and inform a more conscious life that creates a healthier lifestyle, and this program takes a holistic approach to health and wellness, which means we look at all the areas of your life and how they are connected. Well, I'm so excited. This is part two of a series that I'm doing with the Woodstock Farm Sanctuary. And I've been talking with Rachel McChrystal, and she's going to be on this show again today. And she is the executive director of the Woodstock Farm Sanctuary. And I was surprised and fortunate enough that my daughter took me as a special gift to visit this place a few weeks ago when I was up in New York. And it is one of the most wonderful, peaceful establishments that we had been to together. And I am a certified licensed wildlife rehabilitator. And I think I've been a a lover of animals since I was born because I rehabbed animals when I was small and we had chickens and we had ducks and we had rabbits and I raised pigeons and we had a big garden and we treated them all like they were our pets. And so I grew up very, very conscious of our connection with the creatures of this earth and how valuable they are to our lives and our environment. And the Woodstock Farm Sanctuary envisions a peaceful world rooted in respect and justice for all living beings. And they rescue farm animals and birds and give them care and sanctuary. And they connect these creatures with people to advance veganism and advocate for advocate for creatures' rights in alliance with other social justice movements. 
And this sanctuary was founded in 2004, and it's located in High Falls, New York, just about 90 miles north of New York City. And Rachel McChrystal joined the Woodstock Farm Sanctuary in 2014. She is the organization's first development director, and she brings with her a decade of leadership into the sanctuary, animal rights, animal rescue movement, and her new role is executive director. And last week, she shared with us a lot of amazing information on the egg industry, the industry that has to do with chickens, And so much of that was very, very eye-opening for me and my daughter when we were there visiting. And, of course, it's very different when you're there in person and you get to meet the little birds that they have rescued. And it is such a wonderful experience. And I do highly recommend anyone who uh, likes this kind of thing going and visiting their their farm and getting to know some of the animals and taking a tour my tour leader Andy actually drives there to volunteer from New York City and she was just fantastic and uh, Rachel has shared so many great facts uh, about the chickens with us that I asked her to be on again and expand on more of the animals that they rescued, more of the creatures. And so I wanted to talk about the turkeys and also dairy and the cows. And if we have time in this show to get to the pigs and the goats, I would love to do that too. But uh, we'll see how far we can get into it. And if we uh, have need more time, we'll we'll do another show on this. Chad, did you were you able to get Rachel on the line? We have Rachel on the line. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for having me again. (laughs) Oh, it's my pleasure. And I know our listeners uh, are going to be able to get so much great information from from you about uh, our food and, you know, why we should care. And uh, one of my favorite statistics is, according to the Environmental Defense Fund, Every American skipped only one meal of chicken per week and substituted vegetarian or vegan foods instead. The carbon dioxide savings would be the same as taking more than a half a million cars off of U.S. roads, which I think is just very eye-opening. And I meet people all the time and they want to be more environmentally conscious but the number one thing people can do to, to help the environment, to help global warming slow down, is to eat more vegetarian, vegan foods. And so, Rachel, I know you're going to share with us some wonderful stories about some of the animals and birds that you have rescued and help us to understand the compassionate part of eating more vegetables and fruits and going more away from eating our fellow creatures. And so today, I would love for you to tell us more of the stories about the 
the birds. And so we didn't have time last week to do the turkeys. And so I just love those turkeys. Mm-hmm. And if you could share that information now with us, I I know that everybody will really enjoy hearing more about turkeys because I think in many ways people just don't learn this information in school and I don't think it's really out where people just get exposed to it in normal everyday life. Well, I think we, I think that's for a reason, right? That's very intentional is that these animals are are kept from us and we um, and when we do talk about them, we, we don't really talk about them as individuals. And we also are very dismissive, I think, especially of birds. I mean, we call, you know, it's an insult to be called bird-brained, right? <laughs> um, and I, You're I we, right. That, yeah. That's right. But yet we think about our fine-feathered friends mm-hmm. and how brilliant parrots or uh, other birds are, like the homing pigeon, who, who really saved hundreds of thousands of lives in the wars when they would when they would use them carrier pigeons I mean yeah uh, birds are brilliant and I I think um turkeys I I I find you know I I have a lot of relationships here with the chickens and we also had guinea hens here and and ducks um but I I don't know the turkeys are special and I think they're, they're such an objectified bird because of Thanksgiving and we, you know, we put their images of their bodies on, on, you know, on uh, table settings and, you know, all over grocery stores and we, but nobody really spends time with turkeys. And that's one thing that visitors here are always so amazed by as you were, Nancy, is when you go in and you actually get a chance to sit with a turkey. Um, they're very affectionate. They're very curious. They're very drawn to anything shiny. So I always warn women who go in with their turkeys that have those giant diamond rings because the turkeys will go right for them and they they use their beaks like a hand. And so they're, you know, they're just investigating, but they want to feel that diamond and they want to feel the gold and the ring. And if you if you have any um, buckles on your, you know, belt buckles, I want to peck at your belt buckles just because they're, they're very curious they want to they want to feel everything around them with their beaks um but they're they're lovely they purr um so if you give a turkey a hug and you give her a massage under her wings she'll purr their heads change colors there's bumps on their heads that are called caruncles and they'll change colors based on their moods so you'll be sitting in with a turkey and they'll be very pale and then if something is making them nervous or anxious their head will get darker and darker um and it's very obvious with the males who also have these giant snoods hanging from the front of their face but even the even the girls their heads will change color and it's such a nice, you know, they're like chameleons. It's such a nice barometer where you can really, they're very clear on how they're feeling and what they're, what they're thinking. Um, one of my, one of my favorite turkeys on site is Beatrice, who you probably met. She's, she's so friendly. She came like most of our turkeys. She came from a commercial turkey farm where she was rescued right before um, Thanksgiving. And most of our guys came to us right after they were rescued. But she actually, she was given as a Thanksgiving gift, um, which is very bizarre. She was, she was purchased and given as a gift to a man 
for Thanksgiving and he was on Stanton Island and he didn't know what to do with her. So he passed her to a, a local wildlife rehabber who kept her, um, who kept Beatrice in her house for two weeks and cared for her. And Beatrice followed her around like a dog around her house. And then um, finally uh, Caroline, the wildlife rehabber was like, Oh, I think she needs to be part of a flock. Um, so she came here, but because of all the attention she's gotten, she's so affectionate and she's so friendly and she loves children, especially. Um, she'll just sit with kids and she just likes to be talk to them and be pet. And I, I think Beatrice has probably made thousands of people give up turkey um, because she's seven. So she's been meeting visitors here for seven years, um, which means she's met literally tens of thousands of people. And I, I think she's probably changed that many lives. She's just... A very sweet, lovely girl. And one thing people notice about her right away is her beak. Um, so turkeys have these very, you know, these kind of medium-sized beaks. They're not as long as like a, a, a parrot's, but they're, you know, t- t- compared to the rest of their face, they're as long as like a pigeon's. But her beak is severely trimmed, um, which basically means that the end of it was cut off Um which is a a routine commercial practice. When these baby turkeys are born, their beaks are cut off and oftentimes the edges of their toes are cut off. So not like a manicure, not like their toenails are being trimmed, but literally the parts that have their nails are being trimmed. So as if, as if your, your toe was cut, your, um, your toes were cut off right on the other side of the nail. Um, and that's because they cram these little babies in these giant sheds, tens of thousands of them in a little space. And they don't want them to peck at each other or jump on each other and claw at each other because they, you know, because they, they're so stressed out that they're trying to climb over each other to get out. And so they cut off their toes and they cut off their beaks. And so little Beatrice has a very severely trimmed beak, which happens a lot because these birds are alive. They're not, they're not put under, under anesthesia. And people who work at these plants are just cutting off the tips of their beaks. And so hers was cut too short. And so when she first came to us, we actually had to hand feed her for a while before she figured out how to feed herself. So, oh my heaven. That's just literally horrifying. And I, I have to admit, I'm going to have to come back and visit because my daughter and I, we spent so much time with the chickens <laughs> and I can't remember what exactly was the reason, but we weren't able to go in and visit with the turkeys on that visit. And so just another reason to come back up there on <laughs> one of my next visits and stay a little longer, possibly come a little earlier and uh, meet Beatrice, and I yes. uh, just cannot even imagine what kind of person can work in a factory where they actually do that to living creatures. Well, I think a good thing to keep you in know, mind is is oftentimes sad. these are the the slaughterhouses and also these these big um, factory farms or industrial factory farms. They're in places where there's not a lot of industry, and so. People will take these jobs because it's the best paying job around. And um, I think especially as regards slaughterhouses, there's lots of trauma that happens to people. Um, You know, a lot of people who have worked at slaughterhouses have talked about how they suffer from PTSD after the fact. And, you know, that's one thing we try to talk about here at Woodstock Sanctuary is that when you're paying other people to do this to animals, you're, you're not only traumatizing and killing animals, but you're traumatizing people. Because the 
you know, if, if you have a family and the best paying job in your town is working at a slaughterhouse, you might take that job, even if it's temporarily, but you're, you're going to suffer a lot and you're probably going to bring that trauma home with you. Um, and it's going to impact how you, you know, how you treat your family and whether or not you, you know, you figure out ways to kind of medicate and self-medicate like with booze or, or drugs. And that happens a lot. Um, so I think when we think about the victims of animal agriculture, we don't just think about the animals, but we also think about the people who were paying to do this to animals, right? It's That is it's, such an excellent point. And I'm so glad that you have have introduced that thought to people because every dollar people spend on food, they're either supporting someone who's growing like organic vegetables or someone who is doing this type of, of work. And I, I think people do need to realize that every time you spend a dollar, you're, you're voting and you're supporting that industry or that, um, that that type of situation, and so it's it's something that I think you know we I think we talked about it last week is the advertising industry very much sanitizes things to the point where people don't real don't really associate what they're eating with the little creature that has been treated like this, and it's not like the very old days when your great great grandparents had chickens in the backyard and maybe they did have one on Christmas or on a special occasion but it was very personal and it it wasn't so sanitized that you were completely disconnected with how that creature was was brought up raised treated uh, and also put to death so it's um I think that is a huge part of addressing this whole situation and um and so thank you for sharing that yeah of course I think it's um you know I think you're so right when you're making consumer decisions you are your your decisions impact a lot of a lot of creatures and they impact the planet and it's you know it's good to know to learn as much as possible about all those aspects Yes, and, and tell us some more about uh, maybe another turkey or, or Beatrice or, you know, like what colors do, do their head turn like when they're really happy? And <laughs> Yeah, so I think the turkey purring is always, uh, you know, a real, uh, is always pretty amazing. We actually, um, most of our turkeys are white because, um, you know, I don't know if there are many wild turkeys where you are, but there's a lot of them back east here. And and if you see those flocks of wild turkeys, and I'm sure plenty of your listeners have seen them in their backyards or in the woods, they're gray and they're brown and they're pretty fit. I mean, they're big birds, but they can fly short distances. They nest in trees. Um, they're, you know, they're about the size of like a vulture. They're beautiful birds. Um, but if you look at the birds that are that are in farming, they're white. And I think that's something that... Uh, is good to point out because there are not a lot of white animals in the world unless you live in the Arctic, right? And that's because it's not good for, pre- you know, they're, they're, they're really obvious to predators if you're white. Uh-huh. Um, and 
But if you've domestic, a lot of domesticated animals are white. And the reason why we've bred turkeys to be, have these white feathers is because it means their meat is lighter. And so therefore we like that taste better. And so we bred, we basically genetically manipulated these birds to be pure white. We've also, um, bred them just like the chickens, just like the Cornish cross birds. We've bred them to get really big, really quickly. Um, and that's because we don't want to raise the time and the money to raise them to be adults before we eat them. We basically want to have, a uh, some spring turkeys, um, that grow up over the summer and that are killed when they're still babies but for Thanksgiving, when, uh, which is a time when 46 million birds are killed in the U S alone. Um, and so, you know, we've, we, we have these genetically manipulated little guys that are obese by the time they're four or five months old. And we actually are dealing with the, uh, the after effects of that. So when we rescue these birds and we take them in and they get to be so big, they're on constant diets and we have to manage their weight. And one of these guys we actually, that we have in our care right now, her name is Slick. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm not, I don't remember how she got that name, but it fits her. And she's a very confident, very beautiful, beautiful white turkey. But she's very large because of how she's bred. And so she has a, a foot injury right now, which in a smaller bird would be not a big deal. If, if you know, if this foot injury was in a chicken or even a really tiny turkey, um, you know, she might she might limp a little bit, but she could live a perfectly fine life. But because she's bred to get so big, and even with her diet. And even with us really trying to managing her, manage her weight, she has so much pressure on her feet that her injury is worse and worse and worse. And we've actually, we've taken her to the vet twice this week alone to get cold laser therapy to try to get the inflammation down. She's on antibiotics. We're, um, we have a vet visit later in the week. So we're dealing with this kind of, you know, what is a very minor injury becomes a big problem because just as if I, you know, was to suddenly gain 300 pounds, you know, and I hurt my ankle, it would suddenly become a big problem. That's what is inherent with the breeding of these birds. Um, so I, you know, it's something that we work on a lot here is a lot of the medical care that we have to give is a result of the outright abuse that some of the animals suffer before they come to us. But most of it is actually because of what's an ordinary legal practice of animal agriculture, of breeding animals in a way that makes them profitable and not healthy, um, which is, you know, really tragic. But Slick has been in and out of our medical barn for months, and she's been spending time with our volunteers and interns. And she was carried um, to the vet the other day and I guess fell asleep during her treatment because she's such a confident, very calm girl. <laughs> she's a she knows she's with friends. <laughs> she is. She is. And it just breaks my heart that, you know, they're so delicate. Uh, and when you compare somebody like Slick to the wild turkey, um, that, you know, they're, you know, it's the same species. So she's related, you know, she's the same as a wild turkey genetically, but she's just been so bred for these certain characteristics. She has such a harder life than these very scrappy wild birds. It's really tragic. Oh my gosh. Well, um, I wonder if they can develop like little, little boots or, uh, <laughs> Some kind of crutches. Yeah. I'll have to think about this one. Yeah, uh, I we like have some things. There you go. Well, we'll, we'll send me the prototype. We'd happily, we'd happily try it out. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you have, and I did see the guinea hens, and they were 
also beautiful and they roam they roam the place because they're great i think watchbirds are they not and can you tell us a little bit about them they're amazing. So uh, they they look like these tiny little dinosaurs. Um, I would encourage your listeners to actually Google guinea hen because they, they have these little heads and these beautiful round bodies and they're beautiful. But um, we have a whole flock of them and they free roam. So they jump in and out of the other animal areas. You'll see a bunch of them hanging out with the cows and then they'll move on to hang out with the sheep. Um, and they actually, they eat ticks, which is a big problem where we are is that um, we have a lot of ticks up here in the Hudson Valley. And so these little guys, their favorite treat is ticks and they'll just walk all around the sanctuary um, yelling at visitors and eating ticks. So they're very, they're very, very valuable um, in keeping our animals healthy and keeping the ticks off the property. That is awesome. And I know that is a huge problem pretty much across the country. And uh, what a, what a wonderful way to keep those in control. Uh, and I know so many people have had like Lyme disease and, and would really love to and you have a, a a less less tick environment. <laughs> yeah, make I don't know. Maybe people could adopt some of those from from the industry. Where did you get yours? And what would you recommend for people if they want to, if they have a farm or something, and they want to go vegetarian or or rescue some farm animals? Are there any yeah, tips for them? There are. So I I highly there are plenty of farmed animals that need homes, and I think um, the number one I would tell thing I would tell people is never buy a farmed animal. Just like. Um, most of your listeners probably have heard, you know, don't shop, don't adopt campaigns about dogs and cats and other companion animals. Um, the same thing applies to farmed animals because what we don't want to do is we don't want to support the industry. But there are so many that need homes. Um, if you just look on Craigslist, just like if you're looking for a dog and you look at, you know, the the placement ads, there's lots of farmed animals there. If people are willing to adopt chickens, oftentimes they're actually dropped off at shelters. So you can call your local shelter and say, hey, I really would like to be a chicken home. Um, the next time you have chickens that somebody surrenders who doesn't want them anymore. I mean, that's the thing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my... My little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As people buy these animals on impulse, um, or they buy them, you know, they have a misguided idea that they, you know, really want to buy them from the industry, and they buy them and they don't know what to do with them. And local SPCA's and humane law enforcement agencies are always seizing them too um, if they're being neglected or abused. So there's lots of animals that end up in shelters, um, especially chickens, roosters, potbelly pigs, um, goats. So that's where I would start. Um, there's also plenty of adoption networks on Facebook. You know, if you just start looking around and you can look, you can find potbelly pig placement networks, um, you know, the, uh, and all sorts of chicken placement networks. So that's a good place to start. The guinea hens are usually people buy them, you know, will buy them from hatcheries, which never support um 
because, you know, there, we don't, you should never pay for animals to be bred for you, but oftentimes people will buy them, keep them for a couple of years and then, then not want them anymore. So that's where ours actually came from is people that couldn't, you know, were moving and had a flock and couldn't support them. Um, so that's always an option, or you can call your local farm sanctuary and, you know, just say next time you hear about a flock who needs a home, you know, connect me. Cause we always get, we get so many calls from people who, who have farmed animals they can't care for anymore and we can't take all of them. Uh, so we always try to connect people to good homes. Right. That is a great suggestion. And I think that is, is probably one of the best ways uh, for people to get the appropriate type of, of animal to rescue for themselves. But also, uh, if you're going to adopt any animals or have any animals, make sure you're feeding them the appropriate diet because uh, one of the things I've found with wildlife rehabilitation is a lot of these animals have very specialized diets and people who keep them may not be giving them the correct amount of nutrients and so many of the animals that we might rescue or get from people who have been trying to care for them or have been keeping them illegally for various reasons they will sometimes have metabolic bone disease which is a lot like rickets which is a very painful thing where the bones are too weak to hold up the animal and their bones will been. So uh, if you are interested in doing this, bravo to you, but please, uh, you know, check with a vet and check with um, finding out exactly the appropriate diet so that you can give the animal or the bird the best care you possibly can. Yes, for sure. And I think um, obviously that's true with wildlife, but with farmed animals too, because like I was saying, their bodies are oftentimes, you know, their, their bodies are sort of bred to suffer. And so what you, you tend to do is people feed scraps and then you have a a pig who, whose body is bred to get very big, very quickly. Um, and so oftentimes you'll have these animals that are just overfed or they're fed the wrong food and it's, you know, they get, they get too big. Um, and then they have all sorts of resulting problems from that. So I agree. It's, you know, there's so many networks nowadays though. If you just, if you hook into your local, like, you know, like rescue community or your, you know, find the appropriate group on Facebook, there's so much information online too, as well as, you know, having obviously a really good vet at your disposal. Right. And, uh, you know, everybody has different vets and vets to choose from. And if you don't, really get along with your vet or your vet isn't as holistic as you'd like or something look around for another because uh, there's all kinds of vets all over the world and you'll find one that you can connect with and work with really well and um, and so just uh, be open to to doing that and being a little flexible and always make sure you provide them enough water and a good shelter and enough warmth in the winter or enough uh, a place to stay out of the sun in the in the summer and please don't chain animals to anything mm-hmm. i just i have such a, a horror of seeing dogs and and other creatures chained to things and i just think that is one of the cruelest things people can do yeah and it's so sad die. we actually have a, a new turkey who we're rescuing who's coming here this weekend and um 
how she's coming to us is she was actually tied up by her neck in somebody's backyard in New York City. So literally tied by the neck and he was going to eat her for Thanksgiving. And luckily, um, somebody called the local humane law enforcement and they seized her and they took her to a wildlife rehabber, which is how she's coming to us. But she was just going to be tied by her neck, um, you know, until, until, you know, now until November and then killed. And, you know, I think the, that's another reason why it's just good to talk about this stuff, because if you see something like that, um, you know, we need, we need to be, we need to be stopping that kind of cruelty and reporting it and saying that's not okay. And it's not okay if it's a dog, it's not okay if it's a turkey, it's not okay if it's a person, like we need to just be, you know, calling out our neighbors when we see that kind of cruelty. I agree. And yes, let her, let your voice be heard. Because, you know, just walking past that and, and ignoring it, uh, I, I think is also uh, giving power to that person who's doing that. And we need to be that pebble in the pond that is sharing the love and the compassion and living our example. So um, I do encourage y'all to... Um, you know, be proactive in how you feel about about this type of thing going on in our world with uh, animals and birds. And I do think there is a huge movement towards more compassion and eating more vegan. And um, and I'm hoping that we're a part of that today, Rachel. And I so appreciate you sharing. Uh, these little stories of these specific animals with us. Do you have any other, uh, I, I know we're, we've gone through almost the whole show already. And so I, I'm, I'm wary about getting uh, into maybe the dairy or the cows and not having enough time to really expand on that. But we, we have uh, about 10 more minutes that, you know, we can talk about some more of the animals. So there's some, uh, one that you can share with us uh, that uh, comes to mind that would be a really good one to share with us in this in this last part of the show. Of course, um, maybe we can leave dairy because that's a big <laughs> that's a big topic for another day. But we actually um, we had something really magical happen um, last year. We uh, again, we work a lot with humane law enforcement. So all the animals that come here are animals that have been rescued who would have been eaten or otherwise exploited. But sometimes they're rescued because they, you know, even though there's so much abuse that just happens um, in our, our as a process of, of making animals into food, um, sometimes there's also some violations in the law and we'll be able to get animals and save their lives and bring them to sanctuary because of that. And we actually participated in this big group rescue with a bunch of other sanctuaries and local law enforcement in October of 2015. And we call it the backyard butcher rescue. There was a man in the Hudson Valley who was breeding, um, breeding animals in his backyard and he was selling them at a local meat market. And that's one thing that I think people think about is if they buy local or if they buy humane, it's somehow better. Um, I, you know, not only is that not true, um, I actually think, you know, it's oftentimes the abuse is just as bad, um, if not worse than in other industries. So I think you should, you know, think about if that's just the marketing 
label or if it's, you know, what exactly that means when you buy local or humane. But um, this guy was breeding animals in his backyard and then there was a, there were kill sheds on his property as well where he was, you know, raising these animals, breeding them, breeding them when they were really young so that they would have babies as quickly as possible and then killing the babies literally in front of their families. Um, so it was a, it was a horse show. And when we went in, there was, you know, carcasses all over the property of animals who had already been killed and hadn't been chopped up. Um, you know, axes. I mean, he was literally just killing these animals in front of other animals and in these sheds. And, we were able to take quite a few goats, quite a few sheep, um, and then also um, we went into one building, and in the corner of the building, we opened a, a door, and there was a mama pig who was really young, um, you know, probably just six months old. She was just a baby herself, and she had these beautiful little piglets with her. Um, and she was in this filth. She was just laying in filth, and she was so scared. And mother pigs can be really protective, and they can get aggressive if they think you're threatening their babies. And so it's always a bit of a, you know, you have to be really careful when you're rescuing a mom because they're really good mothers, and they're very protective. But she knew that we were there to help her, and I don't know what kind of horror she had seen um, and what kind of fear she must have gone through having babies in this horrible condition, but we were able to to literally just lead her onto our our truck um, and take all of her babies with her and take them to the sanctuary along with a bunch of goats and a bunch of sheep, and they are still with us and they're still you know it's been two years this month um, and. They are living this amazing life, and they're all grown up, and they're all way over 400 pounds, all of the babies. Um, and they, they get to live as a family. They get to live, like, this whole life and be together. And they seeing, you know, that's one thing is that when animals are raised for us to eat them or wear them or otherwise exploit them, they don't get to have families. And these are, you know, these are animals that need that that need that just as much as we need that. And so the fact that her name's Mama, so Mama Pig can be with um, with Duke and Michael and Sarah and Erica and Buster, who are her kids, the fact that she can be with them her whole life and that they're a family forever is really <laughs> magical to me. And I, I feel very lucky to be able to see that and witness that. Well, I will tell you my daughter loves pigs and <laughs> we were there we spent quite a lot of time visiting with mama and her babies mm. and absolutely love them and that was one of I know my daughter's favorite parts of the day and uh, I've got quite a few pictures of her visiting with them and they were absolutely beautiful and it is such a wonderful story to hear how you rescued them. And uh, one of the things that really touched our heart and uh, made us want to share these things uh, on Facebook or Instagram was the beautiful life that you're able to provide them along with the incredible education that you provide all the visitors that come and visit your place and and I love the fact that you you brought up the fact of just because it's local and they say it's humane you you know how do you how do you 
look at that description and is it true? And what does that mean? And what kind of person is that? And um, when I work with, I do the wild animal rescue, which I, uh, I'm hearing that they, they work a lot with your law enforcement as well. You know, we get everything and it's amazing what people will do with the animals and put them in or the conditions that they will keep them in. And so, you know, as you live your life and you go places in the world, just be conscious of this type of thing and do contact someone if you see a situation that looks wrong. And I do think animals know when you're rescuing them. I think animals really read your energy field and they can smell when people, that's, I think why dogs can, like they've got dogs that can detect cancer in people or things, but they have an innate sense of a person's I think what they're thinking or what their intentions are. And I, I think people don't appreciate how incredibly sensitive animals really are. And I, I, I have to admit, being a mother, I understand the mother-child bond so much. And I, I feel the same way you do, Rachel, that, you know, they, these mothers of these babies they love those babies just like we Uh love our babies and I think you know babies should never be taken away from their mothers I think that's just horrifying to me as a mom and I, I agree with you I think you know these are things that all of us really kind of need to be conscious of and aware of and um uh, as, as we as we make our choices in life. And and I would like to just say, I know men, there are a lot of probably men listening to this as well. I'm not saying men don't have a great bond with their families also, but I think the mother, you know, having something born out of your body, it, it just gives you a different connection. And we do retain cells from our babies. So we're, we really are connected. And I just love that story about Mama Pig. And she is gigantic. She is. <laughs> I know. And now that the babies are two years old, I mean, you have to just imagine when they came to us, they were, you know, the size of a laptop computer. <laughs> they were so tiny and so sweet. And I think, I mean, we talk a lot about motherhood, right, with farmed animals. And I I think it's so important because it's the mothers that are really exploited and suffer and who have their babies taken away from them. And that's just, that's routine. That's routine procedure is that you know, you're pregnant, you give birth, your babies are taken away from you so that you can be pregnant again as quickly as possible. Um, and that's just, that's a routine procedure. Um, and if we, I know we'll talk about dairy later, but if you're a dairy cow, then you get milked and your baby's taken away from you so that you can give milk um, for people. So one thing that I think is not talked about as much is the, the dads. I mean, you know, the oftentimes male farmed animals, if they're not useful to the industry, are just killed immediately upon birth because they're not born a girl. 
and then the ones that are kept around are, um, you know, are, are used, but they, they are never around their babies. They never see their babies. They, it's not like they have built any sort of family. They're just, they're really just used. And then they're also just killed. And so, you know, when we rescue families, we're talking about rescue, rescuing moms and their babies or rescuing a pregnant mom who then is able to have her baby at a sanctuary. But the dads are usually not, you know, they are never given even an opportunity to be around the babies um, that are theirs. And I think they're sort of a forgotten group. They're really just used as studs, um, which I think has some connotations, but what it really means is they're just exploited and then they're killed when they're no longer useful. And I, you know, when we're talking about animal rights, we're talking about really just leaving them alone (laughs) And letting, you know, and stopping this forced breeding and stopping this exploitation and really just, you know, having more empathy um, and thinking about thinking about the families so that we're talking about someone like mama and her babies, really realizing how important that is and how there are literally billions of pigs who never get that opportunity to 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 grow up. Um, or to have long-term relationships or to, to live to be two, even to live to be two years old like those babies of mamas are this month is really rare. Um, and we're so lucky that we're able to give that to them. Oh, that's just a magnificent story. And so what a great point. And it made me think of something someone said to me the other day. And I was, we were talking about cows and things and Longhorns, and he said, "You know, you know how they get their horns to be longer." And I was like, "No." And he said, "Well, they they yank and they pull and they hurt their balls." Mm. And I and I thought to myself how horrible that was in the first place. And then it occurred to me, who in the world would think of something like that? I mean, yeah. how would they discover something like that? And I just I found that whole thought horrifying, you know, that anybody would even do that in the first place and then discover, you know, the side effect and then continue doing it. And yeah, was, <laughs> it's really sad. It comes from seeing... Um, you know, seeing an other, seeing an animal or seeing, you know, somebody else as somebody that you can just exploit and do whatever you want to, to them, you know, and it's just about making profit or, you know, looking a certain way. I mean, we do the same things with dogs. We breed them because we like the look of a certain type of dog. And it's, you know, it's just uh, the, it's really, it's a profoundly um, destructive way of looking at other sentient beings, I think. Yes, and I and I really do believe that these animals are so much smarter and intelligent and sensitive than people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, you know, look at some of the statistics of, you know, how smart pigs are or, you know, just for instance, uh, the Coco the gorilla who I don't know learned hundreds and hundreds of words and was able to communicate and then have a pet kitty (laughs) because he was lonely and you know the same is with I think pigs and chickens and turkeys and and cows and if we just gave them the opportunity to to live a, a peaceful healthy life there's no telling what we could learn from them 
and mm-hmm. and that would enrich our lives so much more than uh, the way that uh, the India industry is using them today. Yeah. Completely. Non-human animals are more alike us than they're dissimilar from us. And I, you know, I think that's something we need to, we really need to be aware of. And I, you're right with pigs. I mean, if, you know, if we are, if we're just talking about intelligence, uh, a pig is smarter than a dog. And we, you know, we, we really value dogs in this culture and we love them. And we, you know, we, we really, um, uh, think a lot about their well-being and their psychological welfare. A pig is smarter than a dog. A pig has the capacity of a three-year-old human child, which I always say whenever we're giving tours and someone has a tiny baby, it's like, well, the pig is more advanced than the baby at this point. And, you know, we would never think about doing the types of things that we do to pigs as a matter of routine and things that are encouraged to do to pigs, to dogs, much less a child. Um, so I think it's really good yeah, I think that's a really, really, really smart point. Um, and again, they're they're more alike us than they are dissimilar from us. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I truly would love for you to come again on the show and expand about the dairy industry and cows and goats. And I, I hope we can set that up in the near future I would love that. I think it's a really important, that's such an important topic, and I would be um, very, very happy to come and talk about it. Thank you. I am so delighted that you were able to share those stories about the turkeys today, and I, I do hope that our listeners are going to look at the that bird in a, in a whole new way, and also the, the guinea hens, and um and pigs, pigs. Uh, and I just want to tell our listener that I've been talking to Rachel McChrystal, and she's the executive director of the Woodstock Farm Sanctuary, and it's located in High Falls, New York, and their website is woodstocksanctuary.org, W-O-O-D-S-T-O-C-K-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y.org. And... Thank you so much for being on the show today. It just went by so fast, and uh, you have so much great information to share, and I really look forward to having you back to share more of your brilliance and your insight and your wonderful stories about the animals and birds that y'all work with. Thank you so much, Nancy. I really, really appreciate the the time and, and your attention to this. It's It's really lovely. Thank you. And uh, as we come to the end of the show, this is Organic Healthy Lifestyle. And I'm Nancy Addison, your host. And my website is OrganicHealthyLifestyle.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can contact me through my website. And I just want to thank all the listeners for taking the time to enrich your lives with these stories and your heart with uh, becoming more compassionate in the way you make choices in the world. And as we end the show, I like to say how we do anything is how we do everything. And so as you go through your life and you touch the people around you, just remember to add that main ingredient and that main ingredient is always love.